This is episode 117 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks for joining me today. In this Q&A episode, Angela joins me to discuss how to determine what to delegate in your business, how to focus on high-value work, what low prices say about your products and services, and what to do when you're getting off your schedules and productivity cycles. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Alrighty, Creative Giants, this is our fifth question and answer podcast. And we had a lot of questions come through that were from our Creative Giant entrepreneurs. So this one's going to be more heavily stilted towards entrepreneurship and business development questions. And um, I also think our next one is going to be that way as well, right? Uh, more than likely, yeah. More than likely our next one. A little bit of one. personal development. But you know what? It's all good because the the fun of doing these is that we get to answer the questions people actually ask and, and want to hear us talk about. So if you want to ask questions, really the best place to do that is to join the Creative Giant Campfire. You can find it. It's our free Facebook group. Um, if you search Creative Giant Campfire on Facebook, you're going to find it. Join us. Um, Angela and the team will often ask people there for questions and what they want us to talk about. And then that's how they end up on these episodes. So, yeah. So we'll get on there. We'll prompt you. We'll ask for questions. And you're also always more than welcome to put a question on there even before we prompt you. And actually, if you do have a question and you just want to email it because you're not into the big social thing, actually emailing Angela straight up is going to be the best way to go. You can email her at Angela at ProductiveFlourishing.com, and she'll put that into the queue for the next episode. So what do we have on deck today? Okay. Well, our first question today is from Yvonne in the campfire, um, and she wanted to know, how do I determine how and what to delegate in my business? Now, before I have you answer that question, there is actually a second question from Nadia a little bit after Yvonne, and I feel like these two questions may go together pretty well, so I want to ask you that one as well, and maybe you can kind of um, put them together and answer those two for us. So the question from Nadia in the campfire was, how do you decide what low-value work is worth doing at all? And how do you determine which stuff to push off until next week, next month, or to totally do away with? So question about delegating and what is low value work and is it worth doing? Okay, so the first one is a little bit easier. Um, Yvonne is one of my favorite people. So Yvonne, thanks for asking the question here. The easiest way to tell whether it's something to delegate is if you can make a list out of it. If you can count one through seven, like do this and then do this and do this and do this, and you're going to do it every time, that's a great candidate for something to delegate in your business. Because what that's going to do is free you up to really work on those things that you can't process in that way that requires a lot of problem solving and, and thinking on the fly and, you know, that type of thing. So that's the first thing that I would say is um, if you start to see yourself like, dang, I do the same thing over and over again, or I do the same thing every week, mm-hmm. then it becomes something that um, you can delegate. Okay. While we're here, I want to think about there, there are two major concepts that I want you to think about with, with delegation. One is the difference between a routine and a project. 
A routine is something that's going to happen over and over and over again, whereas a project is oftentimes much more one-off. So, for instance, we have routines around collecting mentions and features for the Pulse that comes out every week. That's our weekly digest, right? It's going to happen every week, so there's a routine around that, and um, Jess is currently the one that's assigned to do that. We have um, downloads that we put on the website every month. That's a routine. We have um, different level routines. We have daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly um, routines that really govern our business. For instance, um, one of the things I need to talk to Angela about sometime this week is whether we need to continue her premium version of Dropbox. Seems to be a small thing, but we do a quarterly review of all of our um, subscribe to services to make sure that we're not overpaying for stuff that um, that we don't need because it's super easy to do that and. Um, mm-hmm. You know, 15 bucks a month or 12 bucks a month, that adds up over the course of a year. Yeah. And so routines are really great things to delegate because those are the things that are going to drive you batshit crazy anyways, <sighs> right? Because you're like, here I am looking at this again. I'm uploading this file or updating my plugins. Um, we currently use the Rainmaker platform, so we don't have to update plugins. But were we on a standard WordPress um, install and you know we were using sort of a great thing by Genesis and things like that. We would have a weekly routine, um, likely for Joe on this part because she does a lot of our tech stuff to go through and update our plugins to make sure that we're current. Mm-hmm. So those are routines and those are easy things to delegate. Um, projects less so, but still they're an important projects that you can let go of. For instance, um, right now we have Irene, another teammate. She's she's um, an admin assistant for our team. She's going through and um, going through a a spreadsheet to look at what pages people are signing up from from our website and giving us good data about that. It's mm-hmm. a project that's going to take probably an hour ninety minutes to, to get through that sort, um, and it's a great one off. That may become a routine because that's the type of question I'm going to ask every month. Like, where are our signups coming from? Are there any significant changes, mm-hmm. especially from last month? Um, another assignment that she might have is, for instance, going through and calculating the actual average revenue from um, our planner sales because we have people who buy the upsell and then we have people who just buy the planners. And so what I'm thinking about is on our advertising side, mm-hmm. how, what's our average over the cost of all over the course of all of these sales? What's our average revenue from it so that I know when I'm making decisions about it? advertising or making a decision about marketing that I'm like, Oh, I'm not thinking that it's $12 when it's actually $15 and 42 cents mm-hmm. makes a difference in the end. So that's, that would be a project. She answers a specific question. I get the data. I do something with it as opposed to a routine, which um, would happen over and over again. Mm-hmm. So that's the first of the two things that I wanted to talk about routines versus projects. The second thing that I would want to talk about on this one is the different levels of delegation. So you can le- you can delegate tasks, you can delegate projects, and you can delegate responsibilities. And typically what we want to do is get to the point to where we're delegating more and more responsibilities mm-hmm. and not doing tasks. Because a task, a delegating task can be really frustrating because it's like, do this, do this, do this, do this. And you always, there's always that sense where you've got to delegate everything. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners and managers get super frustrated having to delegate everything. Well, mm-hmm. if you're frustrated about that, then what that means is you're delegating at the task level. Mm-hmm. Delegating a project is when you delegate something that has a string of tasks, a string of things like that. It's a bigger, meatier sort of thing that you hand off to somebody, right? And so you still might have to specify 
um, some parts of the task, mm-hmm. or excuse me, some parts of the project. But largely speaking, you can hand over the entire project. So the difference here might be, for instance, between, say, um, like I said, with Irene, that's actually much more of a project um, because she's having to go through their combined spreadsheets, update it. So it's going to take her a little bit to get through, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to um, asking, say, Shannon to schedule a meeting for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a task. So and so forth. Now the project would be for this client, schedule all the meetings that I need for that client. Mm-hmm. Right. So that would be the project at that sort of scheduling level. And I was just giving Shannon, a, um, you know, um, a big prop earlier because there's a lot that she's been doing on the client service side. She's our client service manager. And um, that's just happening without me. So we've delegated that entire responsibility to her of scheduling all clients invoicing and and working with all clients, you know, and things like that. And so that's a responsibility. Now, the reason we want to give away the responsibilities, because that allows us to take a major chunk of our brain mm-hmm. and not have it focused on like, oh, am I meeting with all of my clients? And what's going on with my clients? Like, we've been doing this long enough. And Shannon's a rock star that I know that unless she tells me otherwise, mm-hmm. that our clients are scheduled um, their payment cycles are where they need to be and everything's good on that side of things unless I hear otherwise. So I don't have to wake up in the morning and wonder, Yeah, you know? So that's the challenge is we want to delegate responsibility as soon as possible. Yeah. But you have to start with the task level mm-hmm. and you have to systematize sort of those things. And you have to say that this is how I do things. There's a certain way that I want spreadsheets to look mm-hmm. right. So I can't delegate, things related to spreadsheets until I get down to the task level and I train someone on that task and giving them examples like this is what I want them to look like. And then from there on I can do things. So um, project level delegation and responsibility level delegation definitely get you more of your bandwidth Mm -hmm. back, but they also require the most amount of training. Mm -hmm. And what I'll say there real quick is there are, Um, different arrangements that you might get into, say, with some of the VA firms and things like that, where you might end up frustrated that you're only able to delegate tasks Mm -hmm. and not projects and responsibilities. That's not you necessarily. Some, some of the companies are do they do less well when it comes to project and responsibility level delegation. Yeah. I really love how you explained that just now. I mean, and even though I've been in our business for forever. It's just, it's helpful for me to listen to that again about how we're delegating things about thinking about tasks, you know, versus projects versus responsibilities. And I, I find it incredibly helpful. Um, you know, especially when we're training a new teammate, which we've been in the process of doing the last couple of months. So, yeah, well, and it probably helps because there'll be times where I'll catch you doing something Mm -hmm. because you're doing that. You're like, Oh, I'm just going to do this task. I'm just going to do these tasks. And I'm like, but if you just do that task over and over again, that that's a task that we can delegate that might be a routine. So don't just do the routine yeah. or don't just do the task. Let's talk in terms of routine so that we can have you focused on content creation or higher level CFO stuff or community engagement or content for the podcast. Like mm-hmm. those are things that only you can do. Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, you know, a smaller task is something that you could do. Like last week when, um, I was wondering about the TSA pre thing and I was going to bump it to fancy hands. Yeah. Right. And I was just going to be like, I have a question. I'm going to bump it to fancy hands. Pause. Fancy hands is a service where you buy a certain amount of task per month. And they really mean task. A task is something that they can do in 20 minutes. And Mm -hmm. I use it when I have one of those annoying questions in my brain, but I don't want to spend, you know, 
20, 30 minutes on the rabbit hole of like just answering the question. So mm-hmm. I was going to like, oh, I'm just going to bounce it just to fancy hands, let them figure it out. And then like I had walked upstairs and by the time I was upstairs, Angela was like, well, you know, you can't do that. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but so yeah, you really have to think about that. But to go back to Yvonne's question, now that we have that conceptual framework, mm-hmm. right? So if it's a routine, definitely that's something to start thinking about um, um, delegating over. Um, if there are tasks that you know um, that are that are going to happen over and over again, those are the types of things that you want to turn over. The sort of one-off things can be really hard to delegate because by the time you train mm-hmm. and get somebody to do it, like sometimes the juice isn't worth the squeeze on that. Um, but I'm going to go to I'm going to pull in now Nadia's question. Yeah, because really what you want to do is focus on delegating work that allows you either to do more high value work. And for most entrepreneurs and small business, that means revenue generating activities. Mm -hmm. So focusing your HVAs, I know acronym time, (laughs) HVAs and RGAs, right? But not all high value activities are are revenue generating, right? Um, So you want to focus the delegation on things that are going to be the highest value activity or the ones that generate the most revenue for you. For instance, um, giving my my coaching fees, I won't go into them here. It makes a lot more sense for me to focus on um, being in front of clients than mm-hmm. say scheduling, right? Um, yeah. Because uh, that's the most high value work that I can do. That's the thing that I can charge the most for. None of my clients pay me to schedule. Mm-hmm. When you get down to it, right? They pay me for the time in session, mm-hmm. um, and so it makes sense for me to align my priorities with my clients' priorities. So um, you really want to think about what are the things that um, are the the high value and revenue generating activities for my business and what can I delegate that would either directly generate those things, right? So if you hire, say, a Facebook ads person, right, Mm -hmm. that's really close to money if you get your funnel set up right, right? Um, But you might also think about what can I take off of my plate so that I can do more of that stuff, right? What can I take off of my plate so I can do more of that revenue, that, that revenue generating stuff or high value stuff. What I would want to say here, and I think we have a post on this from LinkedIn, we'll put it in the show notes, but I really encourage people to think about um, what they can delegate that gets them 10 hours a week back. Mm-hmm. And I say 10 hours because it's one, a doable goal. I've done this with enough of the clients, but two, it's not just, I need to get my time back. Well, First off, what would you do with 10 additional hours per week mm-hmm. that would be high value activity? And a lot of people haven't answered that question when they start thinking about delegating. What am I going to do with the time that I get back? Mm-hmm. Now, you could just not work 80 hours a week. Yeah. That's a valid option. Yeah. Right. Um, but you can also say, you know what? Like, I'm still going to work eight hours a week because, you know, that's the way that I roll. But I'm going to make sure that those 10 hours that I get back are on the most important things that I can do in my business. Mm-hmm. On that, I want to give yet another framework. Framework time. <laughs> cash flow, opportunity, visibility. Cash flow, opportunity, visibility. Those are really the three main goals of any business activity that you do. Right? Does it generate cash? And I'm not talking IOUs and I'm not talking about some future payment, but cash in the bank that you can take to the bank and pay your mortgage, right? Opportunities which are the types of are the 
um, things that you may be able to do in the future, right, that will build your business or visibility, which means people seeing you, i.e. marketing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so as you're thinking about where to place your priorities, you really can think, do I need cash flow right now? And I need to focus on cash flow, which might be sales and service and things de- definitely related to that. Do I need more opportunity, which means I may be building out a new program. I might be working on a new sales page. I might be doing new things to generate a different type of money coming into the business. Or am I good on cash flow? Am I good on opportunity? But I just need more people to see what it is that I do. And that's a marketing question. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's a lens that every business owner has to answer and it fluctuates week to week throughout the month, right? Because you might go on a proactive sales hustle and then be good on cash flow, but because you just sold a bunch of service, now you're not really on the visibility side. You're not, you know, doing whatever you do to get people to to know and see you. Mm-hmm. So then you have a visibility problem once you're in the cash flow, once you have the cash flow or maybe um, your cash flow and visibility are good, but you're just doing the same thing that you've been doing for two year two years and you're in a rut and you need to build better opportunities, maybe going into a new market segment or maybe building a new program, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. I know these are all really broad categories, but mm-hmm. I think that's where people get caught up because they try to fi- try to apply a one size fits all solution when it really doesn't work for them. I mean, and I know so much in small business, we talk about revenue and sales, but there comes a point in time where you have to look, if you're working your tail off to make sales happen and you're always having to push that, it's probably because you've under invested your time in opportunity and visibility. Mm, Yeah. So um, that answers sort of a general what's low value versus Hi, Value. Nadia had a second question. How do you determine which stuff to push off until next week, next month, or completely? Um, interestingly, that Nadia, interesting that Nadia asked me that because I was been thinking about writing the post on the creative cage match, right? So I'll talk it <laughs> out here. Creative cage match is basically, it's kind of like a wrestling thing. So I have to set it up for those of you who don't know about wrestling. But it's really one of those things where, you know, you put all your projects in the cage and there's going to be one left standing, right? So if you have six different projects, they're in there brawling it out. And one is left standing. And if you know that this project is going to be the first one to go, then that tells you a lot about how how much priority it actually has. Because if it gets beat up pretty quickly, mm-hmm. it tells you it's either low priority or you um, don't have the, the support or the plan that you need to actually take that up. So one thing that you can say is you could do sort of a cage match and put all of them in there and start saying, okay, I've got these six projects. Which one is going to be the first one? That's not going to get done. And you don't have to say why it's going to get done. You can do that secondarily, but what is going to fall off? Mm -hmm. Okay. So now after that one falls down, what's the next one that's going to fall down? What's the next one? And what's the next one? You'll figure out what your true priorities are. And the ones when I'm doing this with clients, the ones that are actually those ones that you just know, we're going to fall off super quick. Mm -hmm. A lot of times those are the ones that you kind of feel you should be doing, but you really don't want to be doing. Or you should be doing them, but you don't know why you should be doing them. Just get rid of those, right? Honestly, because at some point in the future, you're gonna it's gonna run up against some other project that's gonna be a bigger gorilla in the ring, and it's gonna lose every time. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a way to sort of sort through different projects um, and just um, go through that one. The other thing that you would want to say on this one is which of these projects, if I were to complete them, would set up other projects. So if I complete this one project, it makes it a lot easier to do these three projects. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Right. And so then you would want to sort of to make sure that that one project that's going to make the other three easier is the one that you do this week and prioritize rather than doing the other three and then struggling your tail off because you didn't get them done. Yeah. And there's a great book on this. It's by Gary Kaler um, called The One Thing. And it really has, it takes that to the extreme. It, is, it asks the question, what one thing, if I complete, will make everything else that I do that much easier? Right. And that's a great question to ask. Even if you can't get down to one thing on your projects, mm-hmm. you can say, which of these, if completed, would make the other projects easier to do and would make um, addressing my priorities that much easier to do? And then you do those. Nice. That's awesome. Well, those were super helpful answers. And I want to say thank you again to Yvonne and Nadia for those questions. Um, They're very, um, very helpful um, for all of us to be thinking about. So you feel good with those two? I feel good with those two. It reminds me how much more I have to write and say about those. But we've got the show's got to go on for now. You know, the show must go on. Yes. All right. So our next question is from Jeremy, um, also from the campfire. When you see something priced low, do you assume it's going to be crappy or do you assume the person is racing to the bottom to compete with price instead of great content? That's oh, a great question. The pricing question. Oh, I've had oh. so many conversations about pricing. Hey, um, so we're recording this October 26th and um, I was just recently at the Pet Sittingology Conference um, and talking about the small business life cycle with um, pet sitters and pet care professionals and pricing was one of those things that was definitely on their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and you hear this a lot, right? Um, I'm going to go on a bit of a sidebar, but then come back. I promise. Um, what you hear is that people won't pay more than X. Mm-hmm. People won't pay more than X. And so um, in the context of the pet sitters is people won't pay more than $20 for a sit. And every time I hear something like that, I'm like, that's actually false. Your customers, this the segment of customers that you're dealing with, won't pay that. Mm-hmm. Right? There's always a segment of customers that are willing to pay different rates. And some are cost conscious and they're going to go for the cheapest price possible. Mm-hmm. Some are much more value and identity conscious. And they're going to go for the, the, the people who um, tap into those values and identities. Right? Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I'll be sending some stuff to the to the pet sitting folks, but it was like imagine that I was the pet sitter for millionaires, and that was just who I focused on yeah. millionaire pet owners. Well, they're probably not going to push back against twenty bucks an hour or twenty bucks a sit nearly as much as if I were the pet sitter for college students. Yeah, right. Extreme examples, I know, but it shows that um, there there's a lot of elasticity when it comes to prices. Now, back to Jeremy's question about pricing. Mm-hmm. You know, pricing is really hard because it's it's a mixture of art and science. Mm. And what's so hard about it is we don't act rationally when it comes to prices. And yet when we service or when we entrepreneurs and small business owners and and people do that, um, when we set our prices, we try to set them from a rational point of view. Yeah. Even though the buying process is inherently irrational. Okay. And I'm not saying irrational is bad. I'm just trying to say we buy from an emotional space. We don't buy from a rational space. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's why I have a little bit of trouble with Jeremy's question, because I actually know that um, there's very little relationship between price 
and value. Mm-hmm. And I've been in the business long enough to see how prices are arbitrarily inflated to enhance perceived value. Mm-hmm. And I've also experienced many people who um, are making brilliant things and that are charging a rate that they feel or charging a price that they feel resonant with, mm-hmm. that it's not an indication of the amazing thing that, that it was. Right. Um, I've had amazing um, massage therapy sessions, right. That were under, undercharged quotes. Like they, they underpriced themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, did I walk away saying like, Oh, well they're cheap or anything like that. No, it's it was a valued experience. But so that in many ways makes me a hard person to ask about this because when I see a price, um, I actually oftentimes will try to pay more attention to how they're trying to use their price to signal their value. And when I see inflated prices, I'm like, Oh, there, you know, there are certain copywriting things that people will do that will inflate the price. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm on the lookout for that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really challenging on that front. I think a lot of people, though, if I say if we, if I had to answer for a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of people do make the price value um, correlation. Yeah. Right. And they assume because something is more expensive, it's worth more. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also pause here. We have a post, a series of posts on our website called the three P's of pricing that talks about um, the I don't even remember what they are right now. It'll come back to me. I'll move on and come back. We'll link to it in the show. But one thing to think about with pricing is the placebo effect, right? Mm -hmm. Is that people, once they've paid a certain amount, will then value that thing a lot more because they paid that amount, Mm -hmm. not because of the value that the thing itself generates, Mm -hmm. right? And so you can think about, say, CrossFit gyms, right? Now, the model is such that people could make it work off of 30 bucks a month, right? Go to the CrossFit gym, so on and so forth. So my, my gym membership at 24-Hour Fitness is, I don't know, what, 40 bucks a month? Yeah, 45. 45 bucks a month. Um, and I value that 45 bucks a certain way. If I were paying 200 bucks a month, if I missed a workout session, I would probably be a lot more pissed. Yeah. Right. And so there's that placebo effect that you have to really account for when it comes to pricing. And um, yeah, it's, it's an important thing to consider because I think what we will do, and I'm going to speak specifically to thought leaders and authors and, and people like that. What we will try to do is try to say, you know what, I'm going to make this super accessible for people mm-hmm. so that they don't like overstress about the price and they take action and I want more people to see it. And that's a very, that's a rational sort of way of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. What happens is people buy it and because they've invested so little in it, when it gets hard, whatever transformation you're trying to get it come across, when it gets hard, the cost of investing and in, the cost of them investing their time, energy and attention to get through that hard part, um, this may not be enough, but if they invested three times more, they may have a little bit more investment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This gets super tricky, super, super tricky, right? I can't say that you should always charge more for the placebo effect. Um, I just want to put it out there that if you notice that you're selling stuff and you're buying, well, if you're selling stuff and people aren't seeing, aren't using it, um, something to consider is they may not have invested enough in the program. Now, this is after 
you've actually gone through and, and tried to figure out if your program's a good program, does it have a good instructional design? Does it get content? Does it give people action steps? Does it make why taking that action is important? Like clear. If you've done all that work and you still see that people aren't completing your programs, you might want to look at the price. Yeah. Right. You might want to look at that. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I answered this question directly. Let me, let me look at the well, question again. But it's a hard, it's really a hard one to answer, right? Because you, as someone who's been in this industry for so long, have a very different take on this than a typical customer. So Yeah, well, yeah. It's, like, it's like when you see the automobile commercials. Mm-hmm. And it's like, get $8,500 off this Chevy 1500, right? Yeah. And you're like, so you inflated the price by 10 grand <laughs> so that you can give me a discount and make me feel like I got a steal from it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's BS, right? Or, you know, you see those types of things and you see similar things happen across a lot of different industries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people, and then you'll see decor prices where when you have triple, you have three prices and one's like, so cheap that no one wants to pay attention. And then you sort of have this sweet spot price. And then you have this one that's like absurdly overpriced. That's called the decoy price. Mm -hmm. And I can look at them and be like, yeah, that's, you know, here's exactly what they want me to buy. They don't actually want me to buy the super expensive one, Mm -hmm. but they want the price on that super expensive one to um, trickle down or sort of show the value of this other one or make this middle price not seem so high. Right. And we know this from pricing psychology. I've done this enough. I've done enough research on it. And it's so you're absolutely right. When I look at it, I I don't see the price value correlation. I see all the stuff under that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also my heart goes out to a lot of younger entrepreneurs and small business owners who um, are charging too little mm-hmm. because they're not confident in the value that they're putting on the table. Yeah. And because they're not confident in the value that they're putting on the table, they're not getting what they deserve and what they're worth. And because they're not getting what they're worth, they're having a hard time paying themselves their income and growing their business. And so um, on the one hand, I I, want to have sort of that like, yeah, there's a lot of like pulleys and levers that comes with pricing. Mm -hmm. But there's also a lot of people out there um, who um, are struggling because they're trying to set their prices based upon certain factors. A lot of them really altruistic. Like, how can I get this to more people? How can I most take care of my people? How can I do that? Mm-hmm. But it's fundamentally not working for them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks for that question, Jeremy. And thanks, Charlie, for your thoughtful answer on that. Okay. Uh, last question for this one. Um, and this is a general one. Um, I know you've been asked many times, so I wanted to bring it back up. When you feel you're getting out of cycles that support you or you're off your schedule, what do you do? And how do you reset? What things can we think about to get us back on track? That's a great question. We've been talking a lot about seasonal cycles here recently. We have, like but it just keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. And I'm, I appreciate the question. I don't want to say it keeps coming up like we want to get rid of it. No. I just, it's always surprising to me that people find it as interesting as I would, because I, you don't hear a lot of other people talking about it. So I'm like, maybe it's just one of those nerd things that no one cares about. <gasps> it's so important. Though. Yeah, but most of my business has been around nerd things that I thought people wouldn't care about. So there we go. Like pricing turns out. Yeah. Um, 
when I'm getting out of my cycle, how what support do I what support do I tap into? And um, hmm, that's an interesting one. So what I'll say is, and Angela, correct me if I'm wrong. We've been together like 19 years, so she mm-hmm. knows a lot about me. I typically spot that I'm off a seasonal cycle because I have a prolonged malaise about something, right? Um, especially mm-hmm. like in, in the summer, I've had one here recently because mm-hmm. we didn't, we weren't able to have our seasonal retreat. Right. Yeah. And so I've just felt off. Mm-hmm. Right. what's wrong with me? So and so forth. For instance, I know in the fall, I need to start drinking more coffee. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I switch from tea, which is more summer, sp- spring and summer, I drink more tea in the fall and winter, I drink more coffee. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there for a while, I was like, oh, man, I'm just dragging. I'm not going anywhere. What's wrong with me? I was like, oh, this is the time of the year that I need to sh- that I need to shift because of the sun, because of my activity levels, because of all sorts of other things with psychography mm-hmm. that I need to drink coffee so that I'm still my best version of human and, you know, um, not having to, you know, work really hard to get my ass off the chair. <laughs> so that, you know, it's a broad question. It's I a broad, it's a really broad question. <laughs> what do I do? The first thing that I try to do is see if this is a trend that's lasting longer than three or four days. Mm, okay. Right. Because three or four days, you can have a bad night's sleep or two. You can get into a funky sort of, I get in funky media cycle sometimes where mm-hmm. I watch too much and then I'm sleeping, I'm off or I'm working out or maybe I'm getting off of a plane. So I try to make sure um, that I'm, that I actually have a global salute, a global situation and not a local situation. Now, mm-hmm. The difference between a local one is exactly that. It's just something that happened that's going to work itself off in time. Mm-hmm. Not a big deal. A global situation is one that's it's actually going to remain persistent. So you can think a lot of times when you're solving problems in your business or your life, you can ask, is this a local scenario mm-hmm. or is this a global scenario? In other words, am I just hungry right now? If you're just hungry, like it's not a reflection of your business. It's not a reflection that the world is coming down. You know, the whole thing is, is like you're hungry. Yeah. And so if you're snapping, if you're snapping at people and you're, you, I'm burnt out. No, you're not. You're hungry and tired, right? Take a break. Take a break. Go eat. Yeah. So that's where there's the, um, the halt framework. I think I've written about this on the, mm-hmm. on the blog. So if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, those are typically local scenarios, right? Mm-hmm. And so I actually will do that audit. I also add, um, so I add water. And sick, right? So it's actually more like, you know, waltz, right? But it's like, have I drank enough water? Mm-hmm. Am I hungry? Am I angry and or frustrated about something? Because that just happens. I'm a creative person, an emotional person. Am I lonely or lonesome? Am I tired or am I sick? Mm-hmm. If it's any of those, then that's not a seasonal thing. Now, if any of those stick for four or five days or if I'm like it goes over the weekend, I definitely know that it's not just a local sort of I'm hungry or I'm not eating enough protein or something like that. Mm-hmm. So how do I reset? So the first thing that I do to reset is I go through and make sure that I'm not, you know, dehydrated, hungry, angry, lonely, tired or sick. Mm-hmm. Um, then is when I'll say, has there been a seasonal shift? Is is it a different time of the year? Have we shifted from fall, from summer to fall? So try to really the whole point here is diagnosing what the problem actually is, mm-hmm. and you can't reset truly if you don't know what the problem is. 
So if it's around a seasonal thing, like, okay, I mentioned earlier, so I'm going to drink coffee. I'm going to go to bed a little bit earlier, or I'm going to increase my workout. Or like earlier today, since we're in fall here in Oregon, I was like, where is the sad lamp, right? It's a lamp that shoots UV light, right? And so I just know during this time of the year, I need to drink coffee. I need to make sure that I'm sitting in front of UV light so I'm getting enough. I know that I need to increase my vitamin D intake. Right. I know that I need to work out and I need to be extra conscious about that sort of, you know, uh, dehydrated, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, sick thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know to do that. And I also know that um, as mid spring comes along and the days are longer and I'm burning myself out and things like that, I'm like, oh, crap. Right. Now that the days are longer and I'm working out and I'm in a different place, I might not need the caffeine as much mm-hmm. so that I can be more present. I might be able to alter my diet this way, right? I can alter my sleep cycles. I can also alter my commitments such that um, it's really living in accord with the season. Um, what I will want to say here is we each respond to um, – we each respond to cycles. Oh, I went seasonal on this one, but it wasn't actually a seasonal question. Mm-mm. Just whenever you feel like you're getting off, but it does, it can happen seasonally. Though, well, it happens seasonally. That's why you went there. Yeah, that's why I went there. Um, I also know that like about every three weeks, whatever good groove I'm in, I need to like rehone that. I'm going to fall off the horse. I'm going to do something. There's going to be a trip or there's going to be a speaking gig or there's going to be some disruption or I'm going to have a weird night that just about every three weeks, um, I'm going to have to like rework my habits and relook at my cycle and, you know, drop some things that aren't working for me and get back to some things that are. And I just, I know that and I'm okay with that. Right. There's no perfect solution. There's no perfect cycle that's going or no perfect system that's going to account for me at all points of the time, because I change, um, throughout the month. Um, you know, women have a lot of changes that happen throughout the month as well. And so rather than trying to make, rather than trying to approach things as if I were a robot, Mm -hmm. a self lubricating, self powering self, you know, um, self maintaining robot. That's always going to be one thing. It's like, that's not who I am. Right. They're, Different inputs going to lead to different outputs. Mm-hmm. And how do I make, I constantly update my system mm-hmm. so that um, I'm in a good cycle? That's really the question. Okay. Thank you. I think those are the only questions we have for this episode. Alrighty. So thanks so much for joining us for this um, question and answer episode of the Creative Giant Show. We have four other of these. Um, We'll link up to the last two in the show notes in case you want to check them out. Again, if you have any questions, there are two easy ways that you can ask questions. One is to join the Creative Giant Campfire. Um, We have a lot of conversations there. We we have accountability updates and things like that, so a lot of people love it. And also, it's a great place to hang out with other Creative Giants and see what they're going through and and learn with each other. So that's, that's way number one. And way number two is to directly email Angela at Angela at ProductiveFlourishing.com. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, stand tall. We're having some great conversations in the Creative Giant Campfire, our free Facebook group. Search for Creative Giant Campfire in Facebook to join us there. It's where we're grabbing these suggestions, but we're also sharing prompts, micro-posts, and other content that helps us stand tall together. And if you're digging the Creative Giant Show, 
I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a rating or review on iTunes. If you're not familiar with how to do this, there's a walkthrough available on the podcast page on ProductiveFlourishing.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.